Welcome to church, man. We got a great crowd here today, and I just want to take a second and just welcome everybody, our Global X fam online. Can you all help me out? Because we've got hundreds of people that connect with us on a regular basis. You know, we hear of God doing things around the country in people's lives because of what God is birthing right here in Canal Winchester, Ohio. And so it's exciting to be a part of it. And I want to welcome you if it's your first time here. Man, I, I just, I'm so glad that you're here today. And We've kind of been in this series talking about our soul for the last several weeks. And what you saw just a moment ago, that incredible preaching, what you just, what you, I don't even know how I can compete with that guy today, but uh, was the first of kind of two-part message talking about family ghosts. And why are we doing this? Because we just really believe it is absolutely vital that we look at our soul because I found that it's so easy to go through life and be so focused on what I can accomplish and achieve in my physical health and sometimes in the church world our spiritual health and completely ignore the condition of our soul. But, but let me tell you what happens because all of us have been affected deeply in our soul. We've all been wounded, we've been hurt, we've dealt with the impact of loss and grief and pain and disappointment in life. And, and let me just tell you something that maybe you've never thought about, but most of the time we just kind of move on. We just go, oh, time heals all wounds. No, it doesn't. No, it really doesn't. And, and we'll just think that I'll just move on and hopefully I'll feel better. Let me tell you what will happen, though. You're not going to feel better. You're just going to learn to not feel at all. How will you learn to not feel at all is you will turn to coping mechanisms. What do I mean by that? You're going to start drinking more and more every evening to kind of numb the pain because I don't want to feel it anymore. The, the hurt, you're going to turn to some pills. You're going to turn toward TV. Yeah, you're going to binge watch. You're, you're going to spend all of your time and your mental energy, you're going to put it into something else so that you don't have to feel. And what you don't realize is that it's actually going to captivate you. It's actually going to lock you up. It's going to mess you up. And so that's why we're just kind of, we're, going, we're stepping into waters that maybe we don't want to step into. But we're just asking God to really step in to heal our soul. To minister to our soul. And last week as we kind of talked through this single message on family ghosts, I, I wanted you to understand that this concept that God created this world where there is sowing and reaping from the very beginning. In other words, God created within all of life this ability to replicate itself. That can be good, but it can also be bad. And we, we really believe that all of us are recipients. In other words, you don't just reap what you sow, but you also reap what other people sowed. You, you reap what your parents sowed and what their parents sowed. The, the things that they have done with their lives actually spills over to your life. And I believe with everything in me that we are recipients of generational blessings and generational curses. I really believe that. I, I've seen these things play out. Listen, can I just say this? Um, I believe that my wife and I, the, the life that we have and what we're seeing happen with the next generation with our daughters is actually a generational blessing. 
I can see this because both my parents and her parents have both served the Lord, have loved God, have followed him, have given their lives to him. My wife's grandparents have. We've seen like there, there's a, a pattern, a generational thing. Guess what we see in our daughters? We, we see there's a, a, a blessing that has been handed down. When your parents honor God with the tithe, when your parents put God first in their life and commit to a life of leaning into attending church, being part of a community, serving and giving back, guess what you see your entire life? You see that, and oh, by the way, you reap the benefits of it too, because they walk in God's blessing. You can walk in a generational blessing. Now listen, you can also walk in generational curses. Now when I say curses, for those of you who are new, you're like, what, what, what do you mean? Like God's up there with a lightning bolt and he's just, oh, I'm going to get you and oh, I'm going to get you and oh, your parents were awful. Oh, I'm going to get you. And that, that's not what I'm talking about. When I say a generational curse, what I'm talking about is this idea that when your parents and their parents, their parents somewhere along the line, like we all the way back to Adam, decide they're going to live outside the parameters of God's blessing, what happens is they sow that. And, and whenever you sow sin... You reap dysfunction. And so what happens is, is that we can all be the recipient of some pretty hard things. We, we can all be the recipients of things that your parents did that you can pick up. Now, I want you to understand something and why we're talking about family ghosts. is, is because the way we learn as kids is by following the patterns set by our parents. The way you learn, think about, I mean, you don't remember this probably, but your parents would remember. The way you learn as a little baby to, to talk is by mimicking your parents, right? That, well, you watch them and you watch their mouths, and so what do you do? You mimic it, and so you learn to talk by their pattern. You learn to walk by watching them walk. There, there's a pattern. You learn to think, this is the scary part, you learn to think by receiving what your parents think. By the way, this is why deep-seated racism gets passed down from generation to generation to generation. It's because, listen, the way we learn is we learn by patterns. We learn in school, we learn in life by following the patterns of our parents. So today, as we continue, we talk, started this uh, message off last week talking about two family ghosts, right? We learned last week the ghost of nature, that we're all part of Adam's family, and that we have a sinful nature that has been handed down to us through tainted DNA. Now today, I want to talk about the ghost of nurture. What do I mean by nurture? I mean the environment by which you were raised. I mean by the pattern set for you by your parents. You have been affected by the way they parented. You are affected by the way they handled conflict. You are affected by the way they loved one another. You are affected by divorce in your family. You are affected by the environment, not just the genetic makeup inside of you. We, we have the ghost of nature and we have the ghost of nurture. And not only are we made after a pattern of our parents. That's why some of you go, oh, you got your dad's nose. Oh, you got your mom's eyes. Oh, you lost hair like your grandfather. Not only are you made after a pattern of your parents, but listen, you are also made by the pattern of your parents. In other words, the pattern by how they live. And the good things, 
you can be the recipient of. But that's not usually what lands our soul into turmoil. It's not the good stuff, it's the dysfunctional stuff. And I want to talk briefly today about dysfunctional patterns. See, we, we may not even realize it, but we can so easily pick up dysfunctional patterns from our parents. What, what do I mean by that? Maybe the way your dad spoke to your mom. Maybe the way he was kind of harsh and the way he was sometimes demeaning. And, and uh, what you don't realize is that it's so easy to pick up a pattern like that. And when you grow up, you for some reason find it natural to talk to women like that. That's a dysfunctional pattern. It, it could be the mannerisms you carry. It could be the attitude that you portray. It could be the negative environment that you always breed because you grew up in a negative environment. It, it could be the way you saw conflict handed, handled. And the way you saw it handled was so bad, but it actually became the standard for how you handle conflict. And so you watched your parents get a divorce and run away from each other. And so you find, if you look deep inside of your own life, that you may be repeating a pattern where you do the same thing with friends, you do the same thing with girlfriends, you probably will do the same thing with a marriage. There's dysfunctional patterns at play in our life. And I want to talk today about generational patterns. Generational patterns, listen, can produce generational curses. If you want to know where it comes from, it comes from dysfunctional generational patterns. Now, I really wanted to call today's message paternal patterns. Because I wanted to show you something from scripture that, that you're going to follow a paternal pattern. But I thought that would do a great misjustice for all the women and I want to make sure to include all of you in this. So we're just going to call it generational patterns. But here's why. Because your mom can screw you up too. I don't want to blame this all on dads, okay? There's, there's paternal and maternal patterns. So we'll just call it generational patterns that are always at play in our lives. Now, why did I want to call it paternal patterns? Because I actually think that paternal power patterns are actually very powerful. In fact, I believe that the greatest crisis that our country is facing is not actually a pandemic. I want to say that the greatest crisis that our country is facing is an issue with fathers. That when you see 90% of inmates in prison today grew up in a fatherless home, when you realize that most of the people that commit violent crimes came from fatherless homes, if I could just tell you, there is something really deep and profound that can happen through a father wound. And it impacts us more than we realize. And it might not be overt, and it might not be that my dad did this, but if we do not pick up on generational patterns from dad or mom, then we are likely to pick them up and repeat them to the next generation. And so I thought if we're going to talk about patterns and we're going to talk about fathers... There's no better place to start than probably the most famous father of all in the Bible, Father Abraham. How many of you know who Abraham is? Raise your hand. Okay, I need to know if you all know who Abraham is because we're going we're gonna to take a journey today. This is going to be a little bit different of a message. We're, we're going to kind of just take a journey through a story of a family. And my prayer is that as we look through this story, that there's some things that God might begin to reveal to you about your family. 
Now, Abraham was a guy, and we're going to pick up in Genesis chapter 12, and then I'm going to follow his story, and you might have a hard time keeping up with where we go, but I need you just to follow this crazy story. Uh, Abraham was a guy that God looked at and said, I like your pattern. I want to do something with it. And so God appeared to him in Genesis 12, and he gave him a promise. Let's start there. Genesis 12, verse 1, it says, The Lord had said to Abram, that's, that's Abraham before God changed his name, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. God said, you need to pick up and move out of daddy's home and go start your own. Verse 2, he said, I will make you into a what? Everybody say it out loud. I'll make you into a great, I'm going to do something great through you, Abraham, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I want you to pay attention because I told you about generational blessings and cursings. What did God say? I'm going to bless you. And then he said, uh, you will be a blessing. He said, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, Abraham was 75 years old when God made this promise. God said, it's time for you to move out of daddy's house. And I want you to go to a land, this would be Canaan, this would be the virtual land that God would give the Israelite nation. He said, I want you to go to a land, I'm going to show you, and I will bless you, and I'm going to make you into a great nation. Why was this so significant for him? Because he didn't have any children. He's 75 years old, his wife is 65 years old. The one thing they wanted more than anything is to have children, and they could not have children. And so God shows up and says, listen, I like your pattern. Matter of fact, I want to make nations out of you. And so he said, I am going to bless you, bring forth nations out of you, and not only that, but you will be a blessing. I want you to see this because generational blessing and cursing, listen, not only flows to you, but also flows through you. You need to understand this stuff. The things God, that we want, God bless me. God not, doesn't just want to bless you, but God wants to bless generations after you and through you. This is why it's so important to understand this stuff. And so God makes him a promise. Well, un- here's the thing with this promise. The, his timetable is different than God's. A decade goes by and no children. Sarah was barren and couldn't have any children. And they're frustrated. They're disappointed. Dare I say maybe angry a little bit at God. God, where's what you said that we were going to have kids. You said that we were going to, you're going to make a nation through us. What's going on? And so Sarah, if you don't know this story, I'm just going to tell the story today. Sarah comes up with this brilliant idea. She concocts her own plan. She, she comes to Abraham and she says, I think the problem is me. Now, now, guys, you'll rarely hear your wife ever say that. And I'm not sure if that's in scripture, but I think that's what she felt. She said, I've got an idea. Why don't I give my maidservant to you, Hagar, and why don't you marry her? Because I see other people that have multiple wives. But because I own her, I can own her children. So why don't you sleep with her and have children for me? Thus we'll fulfill the promise that God made to us. Right? That was her plan. That was her idea. Um, now, unfortunately, Abraham has a little uh, Y chromosome, which means he's a guy. 
I know some of you aren't familiar with this, you know. Which means he's a dude. Which means that if his wife says, why don't you sleep with this young maidservant? He, he says, well, f- honey, I guess if that's what you want, I just, I'll oblige. I don't want to, but I will. That, that's, that's what he says to her. And um, failed leadership, and they end up having a son, Hagar and Abraham, which is his firstborn son, and his name was Ishmael. Okay? Now, here's what I want you to understand. Sarah expected that Abraham and Hagar would give her a child. What she didn't expect was that jealousy would rule in her heart. She anticipated that I will now have a child. She had no way to anticipate the way her sin would mess her soul up. And so here's Sarah who now is jealous, mistreating the maidservant. She gets angry. She feels like though this child technically is hers, it's definitely not hers. Right? All of a sudden you see family drama. Okay? Family dysfunction. Now, I just want to encourage you because if you say you think that's bad, you ought to just come talk to me about my family background. Here's what I want you to know. If God can use this family, God can use any family. Amen? So if you feel like you're messed up, I got some good news for you. It's okay. Right? And, and here's the thing. This, this was not God's plan. See, God wanted to bring his promise through a miracle, not through a maidservant. And what a lot of people don't realize is that when the promise was given in Genesis 12, though it was given to Abraham, can I just say something? And some people may not like this. I think the promise was actually more for Sarah. Because Abraham could have children. It was Sarah that couldn't have children. And this was not God's plan. God's plan was actually through Sarah. And can I just tell you that whenever we decide to go our way instead of God's way, we we always end up going the wrong way. Happens every time. And, and so all of a sudden there's drama and Isaac. Finally, God brings a child to Sarah 15 years later. About 15 years later, Sarah at age 90 and Abraham at 100 have their own child. The miracle that God promised. They name him Isaac. And, and here's the thing. When Isaac was being dedicated and he's just a baby. And they had this tradition they would dedicate The moment they're dedicating Isaac, Sarah catches in the corner of her eye Ishmael, who's a teenager now, half-brother. He's sitting there mocking the whole thing, right? Because they're throwing this huge party for Isaac because he was the promised child. But Ishmael is the firstborn. And he's probably thinking, why didn't they throw a party like this for me? She didn't celebrate when I was born. And so he's over there mocking Isaac in the whole process. Sarah sees it, gets angry, okay? And so Sarah in this moment gets so mad that she gives her husband Abraham an ultimatum, all right? And um, she, she forces him to make a significant decision. Let me show you what that decision is. Genesis 21.10. It says, so she turned to Abraham... 
And she demanded, get rid of that slave woman and her son. He is not going to share the inheritance with my son, Isaac. I won't have it. So we went from Genesis 12 to Genesis 21. I'm just going to be skipping through telling their story. And she puts Abraham in a really bad spot. It's either him or it's me. She forces him to make a decision. She's done this before. She keeps doing it again. And so here's what Abraham does. Knowing that the promise was originally meant to be with Isaac. Though he sinned and and though he loves Ishmael, he makes this really, really hard decision. And he sends Ishmael away from the home. He kicks Hagar and Ishmael away from their camp, forces them to wander away. Listen, not only does he cut off their supply, but he cuts off the inheritance. There is massive family drama happening here. Can we not agree? Massive dysfunction that is happening within the family. Can I tell you something about dysfunction? Dysfunction always breeds division. You can think about your own family for a moment. You know, we joke in our family all the time because we kind of are loud and boisterous. We all love each other. But you, you, you get close enough to our family and you'll find out we're crazy. You know, we just, we're passionate. We don't get angry. We're passionate when we talk. Do you ever do that? Sometimes my wife will say, this family is so dysfunctional. Let me, let me tell you something about real dysfunction. Dysfunction always breeds division. Dysfunction breeds division, it breeds divorce, it breeds separation, it breeds isolation, it breeds depression, it breeds family feuds, it breeds fractures in family. That is what dysfunction does. But can I tell you what's even worse than just dysfunction in the family? Dysfunctional patterns in the family. So I want you to picture this, okay? Well, I just told you all what's going on. Isaac grows up. Isaac grows up knowing he has a half-brother, not knowing his half-brother. Isaac grows up being told all the stories because all the rest of the maidservants would tell the stories about Hagar and, and how Abraham chose, how he chose Isaac over Ishmael, how he chose the secondborn over the firstborn, how, 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 how Isaac was the one that they all waited. He grew up hearing all this stuff, Okay. Now, Isaac begins to grow up, and of course, his dad, Abraham, is old, 100 years old when he's born. So I want you just to picture all of his friends at school actually think Abraham is his grandfather rather than his dad, okay? And so I want you to understand, Isaac and Rebekah are about to die, and, and, or sorry, I mean, uh, Abraham and Sarah. Sarah dies, and then Abraham, he's getting older. Isaac, he doesn't have a wife. And and Abraham's dying wish, his dying wish, is that Isaac would have a wife from his family. Not from this foreign land where they're foreigners, but from from his home family. And so he sends someone to go back and to get someone for Isaac to marry. And they find this woman named Rebekah. And they bring her back and Isaac and Rebekah get married. Now Abraham and Sarah pass on. We're down to the second generation. And now here we are with Isaac, who's married to Rebekah, okay? Now, I I just, I want you to look at their story for a second. Genesis 25, we skip down to Genesis 25, verse 21. It says that Isaac pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was unable to have children. Now, I know they're not genetically related, but I found such 
such interesting nuance in the story that Sarah could not have children and neither could Rebecca have children. It says that the Lord answered Isaac's prayer. Rebecca came pre- became pregnant with twins. But the two children stuck, struggled with each other in her womb. And she went to ask the Lord about it. There's a WWE wrestling match in her womb. And she's like, God, this is awful. This is like, what is going on, right? Why is this happening to me? She asked the Lord. And the Lord told her, verse 23, that the sons in your womb will become two nations. From the very beginning, the two nations will be rivals. From the very beginning, the two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other. And your older son will serve your younger son. Now, here's a great picture, by the way, of tainted DNA. Before the two sons to be born in her could ever be screwed up by Isaac and Rebecca, they're already fighting inside of her. Tainted DNA, right? And God tells her, um, well, what you need to know is there's two in you. And these two children are going to be two nations. Why? Because God told Abraham, I'm going to bless you and make you a great nation. Because it's a generational blessing that's flowing down. The, the, the two in you are going to be two nations, but they're going to be rivals. From the very beginning, they're, they're gonna, there's going to be animosity between the brothers. Where have we heard that before? Oh, by the way, I didn't mention this. But there is animosity to this day from the family line of Ishmael in the family line of Isaac. The conflict we have in the Middle East can be traced all the way back to the family line of Ishmael and the family line of Isaac. And God says to her, it's going to carry on. That they're going to be, uh, there's going to be fighting. And oh, by the way, the older is going to serve the younger. Ishmael? Nope. It's Isaac. Is it the firstborn in her womb? Nope. It's the secondborn. Now, I want to, um, I want to point out there are some patterns of nurture that are being fostered here. There's a pattern of jealousy and a pattern of favoritism. We saw it in Abraham and Sarah. I'm jealous of her. The other brother, Ishmael, was jealous of Isaac. There's favoritism. Abraham chooses Isaac and sends Ishmael away. And and now what we're about to see is a pattern that gets repeated, okay? Look at verse 27. It says this, as the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter. He was an outdoorsman, but Jacob had a quiet temperament, preferred to stay at home. So Esau, he wears flannels. He likes to go out in the woods. He loves to kill things. He's a man's man. Jacob, you know, he's kind of, you know, dresses more like a hipster, skinny jeans, likes to sit at home, read books, go to coffee shops, okay? Verse 28 says what? That Isaac did what to Esau? Say it out loud. Isaac, Isaac, Isaac loved Esau. Why? Because he enjoyed the wild 
game. He loved eating the stuff that Esau brought home. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Isaac huh, loves Esau. Rebekah loves Jacob. Now, I was always told something, and, and uh, I, I kind of, I think intuitively you kind of find this out as a parent. And that is that as a parent, you should never have favorites, right? You should never have favorites. And, and from time to time, my daughters would sometimes pin me down. Uh, uh, they would just kind of randomly just come at me. And they said, Dad, which one do you like best? You, you ever have your kids do that? Which one of us? Which one's your favorite, Dad? Which one do you like best? Now listen, whenever I was with them both, I would always tell them, I love you equally, both the same. That's what you all, parents, let me tell you new parents, you always, that's what you say. Now, if they ever asked me by themselves, I would tell them, well, you're absolutely my favorite. I think I messed that up if they're both, are they both sitting in this experience. Sorry, I just, but I just, because you can't have favorites, right? Well, someone did not give uh, Isaac and Rebecca parenting class. What, what is Isaac doing? What's he doing? I would argue he's repeating a pattern, right? He loves Esau because Esau and him have so many things in common. Esau is a hunter and Isaac was a hunter and Esau loved to, you know, he loved to go out and kind of tussle and do the man stuff and Isaac and Esau would sit in the blinds together all the time and he always invited Jacob but Jacob's like, no, nah, I'd rather just stay home today and, you know, and Jacob, he, he preferred home ec over hunting class and, and so in this whole situation, what happens is that Isaac begins to favor Esau. Oh, by the way, he's also the first born. There's something about being the firstborn, right? Jacob is loved by his mom, who probably sees that he doesn't get from his dad what he really wants. Jacob, listen to me, knew that his father loved Esau more. He knew it. Some of you in your family dynamic have felt like that your parents or one of them loves your sibling more than you. You know what this feels like. Jacob, he knew, okay? And he knew, and the one thing that he wanted from his dad that he could not get was his love and affection. And so here's what Jacob does. He deceives and tricks to get the very thing that he never got from his dad. And he steals from his brother the birthright I know I'm second born, but I'd rather be, I wish I were loved by him. And then he steals his brother's blessing, the very thing that his dad would hand down. That's what he does. And when they find out, it's a long story, that, that he tricked him. He runs away and he goes back to the home of his mother. He goes back to the home of his mother. And when he goes back to live in some place else and running away from his situation... It's there that he falls in love with one of his family members' daughter, Rachel. Uh, he falls in love with someone named Rachel. And if you know this story, and I'm just trying to skip through this story some, but he falls in love with Rachel, and he tells Laban, that's her dad, I'll work seven years for you in exchange to be able to marry your daughter. Back then, you had to pay the father to be able to take the daughter away from the family, something we should still do today, I agree. And after seven years of hard labor, many of you know this story, he goes to marry Rachel. Apparently back then, they didn't wait until after the ceremony to start drinking. 
He's drinking a lot, and he gets deceived by his uncle Laban. He gets deceived, who actually takes his oldest daughter, the firstborn, puts her in this marriage veil, and he marries Leah. Now, Leah was not the one he fell in love with. That's his firstborn daughter. He fell in love with the younger daughter. Okay, and one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, Genesis 29, 25, you can tell they drank a lot to celebrate weddings because I love this verse because Jacob ends up marrying Leah thinking he married Rachel. In verse 25 of Genesis 29, it says, when morning came, there was Leah. In other words, who did I just sleep with? Why am I married to you? He, he didn't realize there was an old family rule and he got tricked that you had to marry off the oldest, the firstborn, before you'd marry the secondborn. And so, you know, his uncle's like, oh, I'm sorry you didn't read the fine print, but you got Leah. So, I want Rachel. So he works out a deal to work another seven years to marry Rachel. So now Jacob has two wives, right? He's got two wives. And he marries Rachel. He's in, I mean, just head over heels in love with Rachel. Let me ask you a question. How do you think Jacob's childhood affected his marriage? Let's look. Genesis 29, verse 30. Jacob made love to Rachel also, because he married her second. And his love for Rachel was what? It was greater than his love for Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. What are we seeing? There's patterns. There's a lot of women that are childless. There's a lot of people that don't have love that want it. There's a lot of favoritism that's going on. He favors one wife over the other. Yeah, he loves one of the other. They're both vying for his love and affection. Leah wants to be loved but she doesn't have his love. So she tries to provide children for it. Rachel wants children for him because that's what brought honor. Though she had love, she did not have children. She's fighting for it. It's creating family feud between the wives. They're now mad at each other. They're fighting with each other, right? And so here's what Rachel does. Tell me if this sounds familiar. I'm just trying to show you something today. Rachel gives her maidservant to Jacob to also marry so that he can have children with her for Rachel. Does that sound familiar? We are talking about generational patterns here. And so Jacob marries Billah, Rachel's maidservant, and begins to have children with her. Leah, who's jealous does the same thing with her maidservant. Now, all of a sudden, Jacob is married to four women and has 12 sons. Can I, can I ask you this question? We already see what kind of marriage it created. What kind of father do you think Jacob became? I'm just trying to show you a story today. I'm not even preaching to you. I'm just trying to show you a story. What kind of father did he become? Genesis 37. This will be the last passage. And then I'm going to show you something. And then we're going to, we're going to see God do something in us today. In Genesis 37, it says, Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed in the land of Canaan. It says, this is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers. 
the sons of Billah. Who was Billah? Oh, that was the maidservant. Right? He says, and the sons of Zilpah, another maidservant, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. So, so here is Joseph, who's with all these other brothers from other wives of Jacob, right? This is this blended family. Verse 3, now Israel loved Joseph, how? More than any of his other sons. Wow. Because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made an ornamental robe, this ornate you ever heard of a coat of many colors? He makes some special garment to give Joseph. Verse four, when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. The same boy who wanted nothing more than the love of his father turns around and does the exact same thing to one of his sons. And the pattern is repeated again and again. Barrenness, jealousy, deception, lies, favoritism, all of this in this one family. I just showed you four generations. From Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Joseph. Four generations that are messed up because of a pattern that was started by Abraham and Sarah. You, you want to talk about the power of generational patterns. Now, I know that's their story. My question for all of us today is, what's your story? I, I, my prayer was that as I just show you these patterns, that the Holy Spirit would speak to you and maybe begin to reveal patterns that are at play in your life. Can I ask this? What sinful patterns did you grow up with? What sinful patterns were you exposed to? It might not have even been things that you did. What did you see growing up? Because I, here's what I found. Parental patterns can turn into generational curses. And you never even anticipate, you don't expect, but you don't even realize how much the pattern of what they did gets inside of you. It's a ghost of nurture. I don't know what patterns, but I, I would imagine patterns of favoritism. Some of you have faced it. Patterns of abandonment. Somebody left your family. What you don't know and it's easy to blame is maybe somebody left them. Pattern of criticism. You were never good enough. Why don't, why don't you more like your brother Esau? Why, why, why don't you get better grades like your sister does? What kind of patterns did you grow up in? Pattern of anger where, where everybody was just angry all the time. Well, I come for us, just, we come from an Italian family or we just come from a, this type of family and I just, we're just all passionate and angry all the time. Well, yeah, but don't you see that that's a pattern? Don't you see that that's not of God? It's generational. Abuse. Abuse can a lot of times be a pattern where your mom was abused and her mom was abused. For whatever reason, she allows abuse to happen in the home. These are patterns. I'm asking you, what sinful pattern did you grow up in? 
I didn't say, what sinful thing did you do? I said, what sinful pattern have you grown up in? Hostility in the home. Constant family feuds between uncles and aunts. And we don't like that side of the family. And we don't talk to them. And they're lesser than we are. What kind of patterns, patterns of rejection? I feel like I wasn't, they didn't love me. What kind of patterns of addiction? Addictions can breed patterns that can be passed on. We're wondering, like, is alcoholism... I tell you this, we we can question whether or not it's genetic, but I guarantee you that it is a ghost of nurture. Growing up and seeing it all the time. Some of you, you have felt, you've felt the end of that. You've reaped where somebody else's pattern has been sown in your life. What kind of addictions, what divorce that maybe runs in the family. Uh, Listen, we all have patterns. We need to see them. I'm just trying to get you to see them today. And what do I do? Some of you go, "I, I don't... I didn't ask for this. I know you didn't. And your parents maybe didn't ask for it. And their parents maybe didn't ask for it. These things could go for three, four, maybe more generations. Because there's two options when it comes to patterns. Listen to me today. There's two options when it comes to patterns, generational patterns. We can either repeat them or we break them and create new ones. There's only two options. We, we can either repeat them or we can break them and create some new ones. The first step is recognizing patterns. You need to dive into this. You you need to say, God, show me patterns with my parents. Show me things, God, that's affecting me. And then when you see that, listen, here's what you have to do. This is where you step into the gap for the generations yet to come. And you say, I am going to choose today not to repeat the same sinful, dysfunctional patterns, but I will be the one to break it. There's only two options. You repeat it or you break it. You know, last week we talked about the ghost of sin nature. And what did we do? We broke the power of sin. See, if you have the life of Christ in you, then here's what you need. It doesn't mean that sin is gone. It just means the power over you can be broken by the authority of Jesus. And you can walk in a new life and you can begin to see life change and you can have power over sinful things that have held your life. That was breaking the power of sin. That was last week. This week, we need to break the pattern of sin. We broke the power of sin. Now it's time to break the pattern of sin. You say, how do I break the pattern of sin? I've got good news for you. One verse. One verse that really spoke to me about this. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says this. Do not conform to the what? Everybody say it out loud. To the? Come on, say it like you're going to receive this today. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. That includes your parents. That includes their parents. But... Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That there is something that can take place inside of you that begins to rewire and change and, listen, give you new patterns. There's something that, listen, by the power of God's Spirit inside of you can actually begin to rewire, create new neural pathways, begin to kind of form new patterns inside of you. It comes when you just allow God, say, today I'm going to break these patterns and God, I'll receive your Spirit to begin some new ones. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to break some patterns in my life. Are you ready to break some patterns? Come on, stand up on your feet. This is the moment. I I preached all that to get to this moment. 
I'm gonna pray for us. Here's what I need you to know. You don't just represent you today. You represent generations yet to come. You don't just represent you. You represent the family that God's gonna give you if you don't have one or the family you have now and the kids after you. And I'm gonna pray like I did last week, but I'm gonna pray to break these patterns with God's help today. And you by faith need to be receiving it, declaring it boldly. God, you, you're in your mind, I believe right now, the spirit of God is bringing to your mind patterns that you've seen growing up, things that you've witnessed. But today, by faith, we're gonna break this, amen? Let me begin to pray for you. Father, I just pray right now in this moment that God, something powerful is about to take place. God, I declare by faith that you are gonna break the pattern of sin that God maybe has been carried forth into our lives. And so God, right now is a posture of faith in receiving it. God, we, we today come to you and say, we need your help to break these patterns. God, the things that I see in me that I don't like, the, the things I see in me and the way I am with my kids, the way I see the way it was with my parents, God, I wanna break that right now in the name of Jesus. Listen, just in an attitude of prayer, I'm gonna declare some things over your life. And as I declare these truths over your life, you receive them. I'm gonna just say some things on your behalf. And these are things that if you would receive by faith today, you declare them with me right where you are. You don't have to know them or say them out loud, but in your heart, this is a moment for you to take back control. This is a moment for you to break these patterns. I am not my mom and I am not my dad. The things that happen to me do not define me. Today I renounce these sinful patterns and I declare that I am a new person in Christ and I have a new pattern and his name is Jesus and the sinful patterns will not carry forward. They end now and with the authority that I have as a son, a daughter of God, I break these destructive patterns. Heavenly Father, I'm asking you to create a new pattern in my life. I invite your spirit now to renew my mind. I will set a godly example for future generations. I will create new patterns of love and faith and forgiveness, grace and patience and purpose. And I declare that my future generations will forever be changed because of what you have done in me today in Jesus name come on can we celebrate right now